Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. Coming up on Gamers Week podcast. I guess that's that's a concept that the world has is that video games are something that you're supposed to mature out of. Yeah, sorry, buddy. Not everybody could get on the the, the Bitcoin train early enough to uh, sell it all and get their Maserati in their house, and now they've got their gold chain and their 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 spray tan on and everything, and their their sharp haircut. <laughs> oh, you a loser because I'm out here going to the club every night, and I've got my shrimp cocktail and my you know my drinks all the whole. I got to get paid for. Shut up, Jesus. <laughs> I wish you would talk like that all the time. <laughs> there was character development. There was drama. That was, I liked oh that. God. Very good. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote two intros for Donnie because I feel like the the one that I would like to use is way too far. Uh oh, I already love it. I can't wait to hear it. I'll read that one and then we can vote and then we can go to the backup if we have to. My vote is already for yes. <laughs> <laughs> is my microphone uh, loud enough? Yeah, sounds okay. okay. Just checking. Everybody have a uh, backup going. I do. Yep. Excellent. I'm a good little boy today. Hmm. How uninteresting then. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. This is episode 46, and today is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. My name is Blue Williams, and I'll be your host for this evening. But I have with me my two co-hosts. My first co-host is a man whose hands were made for handling meatballs. <laughs> and my second co-host likes his pumpkins like he likes his prom dates. Smashed. <laughs> I was like, okay, which one's mine? Which one's mine? <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with meatballs recently. Well, <laughs> that you know of. <laughs> um, <laughs> too much? Too far? No. I liked no? it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was okay. What was the other one? Because now I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, my second co-host has been politely instructed to stop asking Billy Corgan if he wants to hang out. Nice. I like that uh, one too. <laughs> Save that for another time. I'm just full of great ideas. <laughs> full of something. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> please say hello to Ryan Payne, aka Retro Game Brews, and the one and only Donnie G. 
Hello. 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 <laughs> How did those meatballs turn out? Uh, they turned out just fine. Thank you. You just got to take care of them, you know? Right. Treat them gently. <laughs> Yeah, pat them down. Yep. They come from a sweaty family recipe. <laughs> <laughs> no one can resist them. <laughs> All right, before we get started, we want to make a special shout out to the folks over in Council Bluffs, Iowa, who have downloaded our most recent episode 50 times. We don't really know what's going on over there in Council Bluffs, but we definitely appreciate you folks. <laughs> Love you, Council Bluffs. Like I said... <laughs> We're going to get uh, bumper stickers made that says, the podcast I love is big in Council Bluffs, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> now, will that ask people or, or will that beg the question of what podcast do they love or will it send people to Council Bluffs, Iowa? Because I don't want to misdirect the traffic. No, and I mean, they go to Council Bluffs, they say, hey, what's the best podcast? And then they're like, oh, of course, Gamers Week. So, ah, Okay. Of course. Of course. We're helping the tourism. Yeah, it's a symbiotic relationship. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> symbiotic relationship. All right. Let's get the show started with our reviews, reactions, and requests. Clayman says, top 10 hardest levels, my ass. The kids <laughs> need to play more NES. Yes, they do. Simon Ashtier says, after listening to the scandalous and incendiary opinion it's just a dog. Ooh. I hope next week's very important poll is all about video game good dogs. You might have already run that question, but I think that speaker just needs their nose rubbed in how much people adore dogs. <laughs> and along those same lines, Zach Huge Thanks says, hashtag cancel Donnie. Wow. Maybe that's why the uh, the downloads were so good on that last episode. because people, <laughs> They got people in a rage. It's like, what did he say? What did he say? Oh, I got to hear it for myself. <laughs> the uh, Council Bluffs chapter of PETA was listening. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I hope they're not hate downloads, but I guess they still count. <laughs> a download is a download. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and now it's time for the... For those of you who don't know, that's backwards for a very important poll. But I did that last week. Did you really? Yeah. yeah. I paid attention. Uh, oh. Maybe mine is not just very important, Paul, but you'll find out if you uh, reverse the episode. Man, I put production value into mine and everything, and you just kind of half-assed it. <laughs> <laughs> so every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP very important poll. If you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. Question for this week is, what is your favorite gun? In video games. Coming in third place is the Golden Gun from GoldenEye at 18.3%. Second place is the Portal Gun from Portal, 22.9%. And taking this one home this week is the Spread Gun from Contra at 31.9%. And 26.9% of you said other, so let's look at some of the comments from the poll. Starting with Morning Sun Games, the K80 from 007 Nightfire, Fast Reload, Fast Rate, and Bot Annihilation, LOL. Lucky LLD said, I love my legendary Infinity Gun in Borderlands 3. Stepford Crimson said, Behold, the Bone Duster from Bulletstorm. A death-dealing quadruple barrel shotgun with a heated charge shot that can sear the flesh off of every idiot stupid enough 
to charge at you. Man, I love that. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the description sold me for sure. And at Blarcade said, digging through the replies to make sure I'm not being redundant, but the cerebral bore in the Torox series. And last up is P.T. Decker said, the BFG. And do I really have to mention where it's from? What's it from? I don't know. (laughs) 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 So taking a look here, guys. Donnie, we'll start with you. Uh, What was your choice for this week? I mean, it was a tough choice. Um, So many games to choose from, so many guns. Um, The one that stood out to me, and I didn't even think about the spread gun, uh, really, whenever I first read it. I I Immediately, I think of the golden gun from GoldenEye. Um, It was so much fun rushing to it, getting it, and just sitting there. And if you had some accuracy, then it was just like a pop, 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 dead, 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 dead. All one shot, one kill. It really drove people nuts. Like if you had a spot hunkered down and they just walked into your view, done. Seriously, done, OP. Done. Seriously, OP. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no question for me. Which is why most matches I ever played of Golden Gun or Golden Eye was no Golden Guns. Because it's ridiculous. Yes, yes, we did have that. Yeah. <laughs> Could you do a match where you give everybody a Golden Gun? I think so. That's a good question. It's been a while, but I think you can. Which would be the boringest match ever. It's like one shot kills the entire time. (laughs) Blue, what about you? So I went with uh, the gun from one of my favorite games, which is Quackshot. (laughs) Really? Really. 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 You're going to do this? You're going to do this? Fine. Fine. We're just going to rip off the bandaid right here. (laughs) Okay. Full honesty, it's not one of my favorite games, but I am not going to miss an opportunity (laughs) to bring up Quackshot. But also, I think it's a really cool gun because you shoot the plungers at enemies and you can also get up walls with the plungers. It also shoots popcorn and it also shoots bubble gum. I mean, how super useful is that gun? Who doesn't want a gun that shoots popcorn and bubble gum? (laughs) So for me, uh, mine's kind of boring, but it happens to be my favorite gun. So back when Halo 1 was first out, the pistol that you got was... An awesome gun for two reasons. So for one, obviously it was something that you could utilize pretty close up and be pretty accurate with, but it was also basically like a sniper rifle. You could shoot people from across the entire board and hit them with the pistol versus having to go, if you had like the sniper rifle, right, you had to uh, zero in on somebody. It was a lot more difficult, but basically it was a close up, almost melee gun and a sniper rifle all built into one, which is why they definitely changed that for (laughs) Halo 2. They were like, uh, yeah, it's a little bit too overpowered. Yeah, so we're going to have to nerf that one. But I, I will tell you that it, it's kind of like Blue, you asked, could you do all golden mm-hmm. guns? A lot of the matches that, that we would put together were all pistols because of that. See, I'm noticing a pattern in the guns you choose and that they're all super overpowered. And that makes me wonder something about your play style. I have uh, what uh, some people call potato aim. <laughs> <laughs> Davy aim. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, now, the thing about this, the um, the time it would take for them to like nerf something. And sometimes those older games, like if uh, they wanted to do a patch, it wasn't feasible. Right. You could One of the things that, yeah, I kind of think about was the, um, there was a, a gun in Modern Warfare 2 whenever it first came out. No, sorry, not Modern Warfare 2. The original Modern Warfare came out. It was just super overpowered. It basically, I think it might have been the M16. If you shot 
one round burst on somebody in multiplayer, it was like an instant kill. Wow. And it took them so long to actually nerf that because of, you know, the, the patches. They just weren't as prevalent as they were now, where it's like every time you log in, oh, there's an update. There's right. an update. Something's changed. <laughs> Which there's has its own problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got to say, though, if you spent all your time on the M16 in Modern Warfare and then they changed it, that would have been a huge kick in the Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, teaches you to be well-rounded. There it is, right? Variety is a spice of life. You're not Indeed. wrong. All right, let's take a look at our patron shout-outs. We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, Gamatroid, Emo-esque, Bill Tucker, Rye Bread's Number One Fan, Fruitcake's Number One Stan, Ducks with Thick Thighs, The Wizard of Zardoz, Clayman 71, Great Siaman 81, BNT Zilligai, Geek With That, Crunchy Kong, Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, JNL Game, Love Retro BTW, Steven Sand, Ramboski, Terry Kinnair, Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games with Coffee, Debbie PGH, the Red Ox PDX family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, and Random Retro Dude. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. Also, all of us at Gamers Week want to send our heartfelt congratulations to the Games with Coffee family on their new arrival, a healthy and beautiful baby girl. Yay! Congratulations! Woo! So happy for you guys. Yes, indeed. All right, let's move on to our headline segment, which is, of course, proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic, family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Rob and Hugh pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Right now, they want to hear your thoughts on Grand Theft Auto Vice City in honor of the game's 20th anniversary. Send your answers to email at retrogameclub.net or follow the link in the show notes. And last week, we talked a little bit about why Donnie loves Vice City. But what about you, Raybred? Oh, I love Vice City. It was one of those games when it first came out, it was kind of controversial, right? It was something that you didn't like play in front of your parents for obvious reasons. But everybody was talking about it when it first came out. And it was something that was a new experience, right? You could do a lot more in the game because it was so open. And the beauty of it is that you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do. Probably five times out of 10, I just would log in and see how many stars I could get before I died. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other five, you'd actually play the campaign. So it was, you know, and then all the great music that was in it as well, uh, just made it an absolutely memorable game for sure. Mm -hmm. Vice City always makes me think of uh, my time working at a local news station. I did the video for the morning news and I would have to go into work at like two or three. And then we'd do our first show at five in the morning and then another show at seven and another show at eight. But if there was not any news like actively happening between the five and seven o'clock shows, then we could usually stop and just hang out. And one of the camera guys brought his Xbox into the studio. And so everybody would just sit around and play Vice City in between the shows. It was really, really fun, actually. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Sounds great. Getting paid to play Vice City. I like it. (laughs) And that sweet, sweet soundtrack just in the back of your ears. Exactly. All right. From VGC, Sega claims the Sonic franchise has surpassed 1.5 billion sales and downloads. Sega has published updated sales of its biggest franchise and claimed that Sonic the Hedgehog franchise has cleared 1.5 billion units. While the franchise sold well at the peak of its powers in the 90s and continued to have a strong following despite disappointing commercial and critical reception of some titles in the 2000s, the explosion of the mobile market has taken the Sonic franchise to new heights. Since 2013, Sega has released Sonic Dash, Sonic Runners, Sonic Dash 2, Sonic Boo, Sonic Boom, and (laughs) Sonic Runners Adventures on mobile. These endless runner games are free-to-play, but feature microtransactions. Factor in the various sequels and free-to-play versions of the original Sonic titles, and it becomes clear that much of the 1.51 billion number is made up by free-to-play mobile downloads. While Sega has rarely released any firm data on the sales of the series' premiere games, it did claim last year that during its 2021 fiscal year, Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games in Tokyo 2020, Sonic Team Racing, Sonic Mania, and Sonic Generations had combined to sell 4.4 million units. Sonic's next big-budget adventure, Sonic Frontiers, is planned to release on November 8th, 2022, on Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Switch, and PC. That's just in a couple days here. Yes, it is. Hooray for Sonic? (laughs) I don't know. That thing has been a a constant juggling act. It goes from, yes, I want to get it, to no, I don't want to get it, to yes, I want to get it, to no, I want to throw this in the dumpster. (laughs) Wow, that got extreme. (laughs) (laughs) So... If you're a Sonic fan, this has got to be like bittersweet news, right? Right. 1.5 billion is a very impressive number, but to hear that much of it comes from free-to-play, mobile, microtransactions, I mean, that's got to hurt. Like the article kind of mentions back in the 90s at the height of Sonic's powers, Sonic was the only one in the whole of the video game industry that could even put a dent in Mario. And if I remember correctly, at at one point even had the majority of the market share. Now, if you look at it that way, I mean, they mentioned these four Sonic, their premium titles, which is Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games in Tokyo 2020, Team Sonic Racing, Sonic Mania, and Sonic Generations had combined to sell over 4.4 million units. That's roughly 1.1 million units each, right? But if you look at comparable Mario titles, like uh, Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury sold over 6 million copies. Right. Or Mario Odyssey sold almost 24 million copies. So, I mean, Sonic, it just has a tiny little drop in the bucket to what Mario continues to put out to this day. But maybe... Maybe Sonic has found it, or maybe Sega, sorry, has found its niche. Um, They've released some bad games in the Sonic franchise, but because they're so popular on mobile that it's making up for it. I'm not... I'm not advocating for mobile release games because I think they're trash, especially the whole free runner thing where that's been done to death. I remember seeing a free runner game at Dave and Buster's a long time ago. It was like a jungle game. And then they just every single franchise, you have the the minions from Despicable Me, you have Mario has a free running game. Now Sonic has a free running game. 
Honestly, though, the one thing that, that I think has led to this 1.5 billion in sales units is that Sonic itself has a lot of nostalgia for people, especially back in the day. And it's one of those game characters that is synonymous with video games. There's very few characters that can actually say that. I mean, Mario, uh, Doom Guy, Pac-Man, uh, Zelda. I think there's more iconic characters than you're letting on. But what I'm saying is that the average person who does not play games probably knows who Sonic is. Okay. I'm going right. to say the All average right. person who does not play video games doesn't know who Doom Guy is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we all enough. have our theories. I'm, 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 thinking of, I'm thinking of my parents, my parents in their 60s. <laughs> I could show them a picture of Pac-Man and they'd say, that's Pac-Man. They right. would recognize Mario. They would recognize Donkey Kong. I think they would probably recognize Sonic, though they may not know his name. What about Bayonetta? Uh, no. <laughs> no? Okay, just checking. <laughs> though that would be an interesting conversation. <laughs> so. I didn't really stick with Sonic. Like I played the 2D Sonic platformers later in life, but I didn't stick with the franchise when it transitioned into 3D platformers and other types of games. And you're definitely not alone with that based off the sales numbers. Well, and that's my big question is why was Mario able to succeed and maintain these numbers and this longevity where Sonic was not? And having not played those games, I can't say you know, from personal experience where I feel that Sonic went wrong. I think one of the things that Sonic was, at least he represented in the 90s, was the Tood character. He's the only Tood character to come out of the 90s that people still have some love for. I mean, Bubsy, uh, what's his name? (laughs) Bubsy has his fans. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there was a, a flood of those types of characters to kind of, you know, almost ride the coattails of Sonic in a way. So being first probably helped that one too. But nonetheless, he, I think for a lot of people is still stuck in that nineties framework, right? Where Mario is, it's not, he doesn't have a lot of attitude. He's genuinely most of the time, a good guy. I guess kids nowadays probably just wouldn't get like the, the two, like (laughs) it's, it's still stuck in that nineties framework. Right. Is it though? Because the Sonic movie did super well, and not just among people our age. And maybe that means that's why there's a resurgence of Sonic or interest in Sonic is because it's maybe, you know, everything is cyclical, right? As far as generational things go. So maybe he's making the comeback because the kids today suck (laughs) (laughs) just like we did in the 90s. (laughs) If you're a member of Gen Z listening to this, we appreciate that you're here and we value you. (laughs) Yeah, It's not you, it's us. Pretty much, right? (laughs) We are curmudgeons and we're okay with that. All right. From NME, Square Enix focusing on hit global titles, air quotes, due to Japan's aging population. Ooh. Square Enix says it needs to focus on hit global titles due to Japan's aging population and invest in blockchain, according to its 2022 annual report. Released earlier this week, Square Enix's annual report said that the company needs to revamp its studio portfolio because achieving major growth in the game industry is difficult now for companies that compete primarily in the Japanese market, given its graying demographics. 
Earlier this year, it was reported that Japan has one of the highest proportions of older persons in the world, while last month it was confirmed that over 75s account for over 15% of the country's population, a record high. In other words, the Japanese market is no longer sufficient for achieving a level of earnings that enables us to recoup our development investment and generate a profit. And we, therefore, need to approach our development efforts based on the assumption that we've had to succeed in the global market, stated the report. The report went on to talk about how the company has identified AI, the cloud, and blockchain as focus investments, with the report stating that the blockchain domain is our most important focus. Earlier this year, Square Enix said it wanted to develop blockchain games and entertainment products. But the company's president, Yasuke Matsuda, said it's still too early to consider making Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy blockchain games. So I I don't really get this this article. It's focusing on hit global titles due to Japan. What, what does that mean? Like, oh, we need to focus on making global hits. Okay. Just like everybody else. Right. <laughs> yeah, just basically. I think it's Square Enix finally admitting that they have to kind of take their head out of their butt a little bit because they have been so focused at home and it's served them well up until now. But if their business model is focused on growth rather than maintenance, you can't do that just by staying at home. You have to get out into the world. But I think that another interesting concept here is the idea that as the population ages, they're not going to play video games anymore. Right. Yeah, I don't I agree mean, with that. I mean, that's nonsense. That's like all those people on Twitter are like, if you're over 35 and play games, you're a loser. You oh, know? yeah. Or I guess that's, that's a concept that the world has is that video games are something that you're supposed to mature out of. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Not everybody could get on the, the, the Bitcoin train early enough to uh, sell it all and get their Maserati in their house. And now they've got their gold chain and their their, their spray tan on and everything and their, their sharp haircut. <laughs> oh, you a loser because I'm out here going to the club every night and I've got my shrimp cocktail and my, you know, my drinks all the whole I got to pay for. Shut up. Jesus. <laughs> I wish you would talk like that all the time. <laughs> there was character development. There was drama. That was, I liked oh that. God. Very good. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even if I had a gold chain and a Maserati and a spray tan, I'm pretty sure I would still be playing games. Though. Right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so I hope that as our generation, because I think you could say that Gen X and millennials are the first generation to to really grow up with games. Right. And so I hope that as we get older, we can prove to the gaming industry that we're still a demographic worth paying attention to. (laughs) (laughs) It's still worth putting out games that are not just free-to-play battle royales. We still want to play on consoles. We still want our single-player games. And, uh, you know, hopefully we continue to get those. All of our games are going to be sponsored by the AARP. (laughs) (laughs) You're not helping. (laughs) Preparation H, Metamucil. (laughs) Preparation H will come out with a game where you have to zap the hemorrhoids. It's like a first-person shooter. (laughs) Oh, man. They should make a Doom mod for that now. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you're in the colon. You're zapping hemorrhoids. Yeah, you can really see like the veins on the inside of the ass. (laughs) (laughs) you did it this person needs to do a cleanse like seriously (laughs) is that a palop (laughs) palop blasters 2000 (laughs) (laughs) you've cleansed the palop do we have anything more meaningful to say about this than palop blaster 2000
even in this day and age, if you think about it, Square Enix up until this point has still only been focused on Japan is such an oversight. And I'm glad that they're finally admitting that. But man, you figured Square Enix would have probably figured that out in the 2000s when they had that, you know, the explosion of RPGs in the West and it was acceptable to play their games. And it wasn't something that just nerds do, that everybody was excited for all of their titles to come out. And they were still focused strictly on making games for Japan. That's strange to me. And I guess what I'm a, I'm wondering about is if they're going to try to start making games for Western audiences, what is their concept of what Western audiences want? <laughs> it's it's the Donnie guy, the the, the Maserati. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey man, forget about it. You know, when I'm not at the club, I want to play like I'm going to the club. I want to pick up a bunch of chicks. I want to take them back in my Ferrari. You know, I want to go to the boom, 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 and I, you know that's what I want to play. Leader shoot Larry 2K22. There you go. <laughs> just say though, like dating sims are hugely popular in Japan, so maybe they maybe they're already doing that. I mean, Kojima already thinks that Americans only play shooters, so right. that's probably not a great sign. Oh, that's just because nobody liked Death Stranding. Mm, I really did not. It's a masterpiece. You just don't get it. Right. I just You're don't right. get it. I am very stupid. <laughs> Where have I heard that before? <laughs> All right, next up from Eurogamer, developers decry Call of Duty fan who turned up on studio's doorstep to protest Modern Warfare 2 ban. An upset Call of Duty player has sparked criticism for turning up in person at an Activision Blizzard studio to try and get their Modern Warfare 2 ban overturned. Writing in a now-deleted post on Reddit, the first-person shooter fan stated that they had been stopped by a security guard after entering the car park of the company's office in Austin, Texas, on Monday, October 31st. The fan says they politely asked to be let into the office to complain about their wrongful Modern Warfare 2 ban, having spent $140 on a special edition version of the game. The fan was refused entry and told to wait for customer support to resolve the issue. Putting aside the fact that Activision Blizzard's Texas office is largely devoted to games like Overwatch and Diablo rather than Call of Duty, numerous game devs have strongly criticized the fans' decision to turn up on the studio's doorstep and seek entry at all. Do not individually take up vigilante campaigns against customer service employees. They have nothing to do with your account ban. Actually, go f*** yourself if you're cheering this behavior on, <laughs> said Jessica Gonzalez, founder of the Activision Blizzard Workers Group, a better ABK. Gonzalez continued, we had threats all the time. Blizzard Campus had a guy at our gate threatening to kill our employees. Asper producer Jacob Garcia said in response, these employees are getting like $15 an hour and still can't afford the rent they split with three other people. Please don't visit game devs in their offices. It doesn't help and we fear for our safety. You know, we laughed about the word that she used, the phrasing, but I think it's interesting that she actually had to say that if you're cheering this behavior on. Right. How many people online were doing that? Apparently enough for her to have to make a statement about it. Good Lord. I guess one thing that we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks, and it's not a new thing but is the idea that people seem to be just taking games way too seriously. And I don't want to be that person who says it's just a game, but it's just a game. Right. It's not worth ganging up and joining a Twitter mob to attack other people online. It's not worth showing up at 
offices and scaring the pants off of people. And it's not worth fighting all day online about. They're just games. We're just here to have fun. Yeah, they're just games. They're just opinions. Uh, you know, don't take them too seriously. I'd like to find out why this guy was banned in right. Modern Warfare 2. If you're going to get banned, you've done something. Right. Okay. Right. The, the off chance that you've just happened to have been banned for some obscure reason that like maybe it, it maybe it is a glitch. That's like a less than a percent. You did something. And now you're trying to talk to somebody about getting it lifted, whatever. This is not the way to go about this. And it kind of stinks of entitlement as well. Having spent $140 on a special edition version of the game, he feels he's been wrongfully banned. If you're if you're spending extra money to get a special edition of a game, that doesn't give you carte blanche to be a jerk or do something that's cheating in the game and still be able to get away with it. Right. It's a certain level of entitlement that comes really with anything when somebody spends money. Oh, I bought a, I've got a ticket to a sporting event. I'm entitled to do this. I can go <laughs> over to this section. No, you can't. It states in the rules. I'm entitled to get drunk and fight people. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sporting events. That's part of the tradition. <laughs> but I can sympathize with the idea that the Activision Blizzard customer service response would be lackluster at best. I can sure. completely sympathize with the idea that you had already, perhaps already appealed your ban and gotten nowhere. But that's just the cost of doing business with big companies. Mm -hmm. Right or wrong, you have to understand that when you voluntarily give these companies money to interact with their products, that's just simply the risk that you take. Do we mm -hmm. wish it was better? Yes, we all do wish it was better. We wish it was easier to get good customer service from great big companies, whether it's Activision Blizzard or the freaking phone company or the your internet service provider, whatever. It shouldn't have to be impossible every single time you want to get the attention of a big company. But it is. And the nice thing about video games is you don't have to give them your money. So if you don't want to deal with Activision Blizzard's customer service and all the hoops that they may or may not have you jump through, you don't have to buy the game. But I want to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like, you know, we, we saw bans happening on YouTube and Twitter for like DMCA claims that were retroactive and that kind of thing. Like, this is not that, to clarify. This is... Somebody like I think Donnie, you pointed out somebody doing something wrong and not expecting the consequences that would come from it. Right. And if I'm wrong, then I, I'd like to speak to this user personally. If you're a listener of the podcast, if you'd like to voice your story on what happened, please reach out to me. Let me know. I'm at Donnie G Retro on Twitter. You can DM me. You can tell me your story and we can talk about it. I'd like to know more. Do you really want to let this person in on you? Because they have this thing where they might show up places. Um, <laughs> I'm quote unquote prepared uh, if they want to try that. <laughs> <laughs> Donnie hasn't doxed himself yet, so he's all right. <laughs> all right. Next up from Games Radar, Sega's 3 million live action erotic thriller has been preserved and made playable online. Yes. <laughs> Gaming historians have uncovered and published prototype versions of the Sacred Pools, Sega's multi-million dollar live-action erotic thriller. 
If you haven't heard of the Sacred Pools, you're certainly not alone. The project was developed at Segasoft, a U.S. Sega subsidiary established to create games that could be aimed at adult audiences and released across multiple platforms, including PC and PlayStation. The game publicly debuted at E3 1996, long after players have come to realize that full motion video games were generally pretty miserable shut your mouth games radar you (laughs) shut your mouth (laughs) after a shameful response from the press it quickly shuffled into obscurity and was never seen again early promotional videos leaned heavily on the revealing costumes worn by the women in the cast and magazines of the era started calling it an erotic thriller that presaged Sega's journey into adult games. The reality, of course, is that Sacred Pools is about as sexy as the infamous Night Trap. <laughs> Daddy, <laughs> they're calling your number all over this, yes, uh, which are. is to say not sexy at all. There's no nudity, and at least not beyond the strategically obscured nude women on the cover art, and the game seems to play basically like any FMB adventure game. Game had a budget of nearly $3 million, pretty astonishing price tag for the era, and it does at least have nice production design, depending on your tolerance for unmitigated camp in your sci-fi and fantasy. The Sacred Pools has now been preserved thanks to Gaming Alexandria and associate producer David Gray, who's hung on to the prototype disc since 1999. You can download the PC, Saturn, and PlayStation prototypes of the Sacred Pools on archive.org, and they should be playable on most appropriate emulators. Donnie Stream, when? Um, <laughs> as soon as I download this game, if it's on archive.org, sure. I've got a, I got a PlayStation emulator I can put this on. I don't know. Is it too sexy? Will you get Twitch banned? <laughs> I'm too sexy for Well, it says that there's no nudity. Um, and it says it's about as sexy as Night Trap. And in all reality, the, the big hubbub with Night Trap is that there were like one or two girls in their nightgowns in mm-hmm. the bathroom. That That's it. That was it. And I remember the, the Senate hearings and everything. And they're like, oh, this is filth. This is trash. This is pornography. Really? You're the same dude getting a from somebody in the bathroom, okay? Shut up. (laughs) No pulling punches tonight, Donnie G. (laughs) Yeah. We can't really use that, but you're you're the same guy that's spouting about, oh, we need to have the the modern family and and uphold uh, morals and all that stuff. Yeah, whatever. Right. I mean, that's what the voters love to hear, though. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But I will say, I think it's just cool that we live in an era where games that were not playable are now being uploaded to certain sites uh, free of charge uh, that allow you to play games that were never officially released and essentially experience that nostalgia for the first time, which I think is pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. And what's going to happen with this game? Limited Run or 8-Bit Games is going to, um, they're going to get a hold of it and they're going to create a limited physical copy of it. And I'm sure Nintendo would love that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, is that something you're happy about or upset about? No, I'd be happy about it because I like some of the stuff that Limited Run has done. And even I think it was last week that we talked about um, the Garbage Pail Kids game that's yeah. coming out. That's going to be released on the Nintendo with your classic box, your classic uh, manual and the, the NES cart. And I can't remember which game or which game company was going to be releasing it. I am 8-Bit. I am 8-Bit. There you go. Um, I, I'm i going to buy that one. And if I am 8-Bit or Limited Run comes out with a release of this one, I'd probably pick it up too. 
All right, let's move on to our top three new releases of the week. Ghost Song, PS5, Xbox Series XS, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. On the desolate moon of Lorion, a long dormant dead suit awakens from slumber. Journey beneath the surface on an atmospheric 2D adventure of self-discovery, ooh, ancient mysteries, and cosmic terror. Explore the twisting alien tunnels and long-abandoned labs of an expansive, beautifully illustrated Metroidvania-inspired 2D world filled with secret chambers and a haunting story. The Chant, PS5, Xbox Series, X and S, PC. A single-player, third-person horror action-adventure game set on a remote island spiritual retreat. A peaceful weekend soon turns to dread after a group chant opens the gloom, a psychedelic dimension of terror that feeds off negative energy. Interact with a recurring cast of characters, untangle the complex history of the island, and witness terrifying revelations about the cosmos. Only you can fight off the creatures, reason with the survivors, and unravel the legacy of a cult from the 1970s to reverse the ritual. And that definition definitely seems like it belongs in the 70s with PCP and <laughs> psychedelics and mushrooms. Wow. Hopefully that's not the ending of the story because yeah, that would be kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> Harvestella, Switch, and PC. Harvestella is an all-new life simulation RPG from Square Enix, exclamation point. Lead a life of self-sufficiency with your vibrant house as a base and cooperate with allies to overcome various threats. Grow fruit, vegetables, and crops in your fields to either sell or use as crafting materials. Overcome battles by switching seamlessly between jobs during combat, including the fighter, adept with swift sword techniques, the Shadow Walker, which deals critical wounds with twin blades, or the mage specializing in magic attacks, or the clerk who rings up your vegetables, you know, really quickly, <laughs> or your customer service rep who bans you. <laughs> so based on the descriptions that we have, uh, Blue, what's your choice this week? Not going to go with Harvestella, though... It is a pretty looking game, and it's nice to see Square Enix continuing to at least do some RPG entries. This uh, life simulations are not my thing. Ghost Song, obviously, it's Metroidvania, which I love, and I've actually heard really good things about it. So that's one that I'm definitely interested in checking out. The sleeper for me this week is The Chant. I didn't really know much about it before putting together these notes, but single player third person horror games are rare and so if this is one of them i kind of want to check it out the description seems like it may be a, a little bit cheesy i don't know the gloom doesn't sound like a very scary name but <laughs> i'd be willing to to give it a try and see if it could actually scare me the gloom sounds like uh it belongs in never-ending story yeah yes. something like that <laughs> <laughs> ryan uh what's your choice for this week uh, so I'm not going to go with Final Fantasy Stardew Valley. <laughs> Touche. But uh, yeah, Ghost Song seems pretty interesting. I think with the chant. You hate Metroidvania. You're right, I do. So I, I, this may be a, I won't get any of them. The chant, I think that the ending is probably just going to be that they hand him a, a smartphone with Twitter on it because it feeds off negative energy. And that's just the way you <laughs> eat it for the rest of time. And you're right. I, I was in until it said Metroidvania inspired. So uh, yeah, I guess I would say I'm not going to 
put my stamp of need on any of these three, unfortunately. Okay. And, you know, like we, like we talked about before, you don't have to pick one. If none of them tickle your fancy, then pass them on up. Although you could expand the number of things that tickle you. <laughs> Go outside your tickle circle, as it were. Phrasing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Donnie? Um, ghost song based on what I'm seeing um, looks aesthetically beautiful. It does. I agree. Uh, I'm I'm okay with Metroidvania games, so I think I'll give this one a try. The chant, I still, uh, based on some of the screenshots, yes, it's a horror game that's right up my alley. Third person, okay. I don't know. I just I don't know if I'll be into the story, so we'll have to see. Uh, I'd say I'm leaning more towards um, Ghost Ghost Song. All right, let's move on to our main topic of the week: Xbox boss Phil Spencer. Drink! Drink! Xbox boss. Xbox boss. <laughs> Hang on, I need another drink then. <laughs> Stop it, Donnie. <laughs> Phil Spencer gave several interviews this week, and his quotes have fueled much of the world's recent gaming news. Here's a roundup of Xbox headlines. From GameSpot, Xbox loses as much as $200 on every Xbox it sells, Phil Spencer says. According to Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer, Microsoft loses as much as $200 on every Xbox it sells. Speaking at a recent Wall Street Journal Tech Live event, Spencer explained, Consoles as a business model in the overall scope of gaming is fairly small relative to the places people play. Consoles evolved to a business model much different from phones, where consoles are actually sold at a loss in the market. So when somebody goes and they buy an Xbox at their local retailer, we're subsidizing that purchase somewhere between $100 and $200 with the expectation that we will recoup that investment over time through accessory sales and storefront. It's been known for some time that consoles are loss leaders, but this is among the first times that an executive at a console producer is putting a specific dollar amount to the extent of that cost. The Xbox being sold for a loss is not a surprise. Selling hardware for a loss and making up the difference has been the strategy from Microsoft and Sony for multiple console generations. As part of the Apple versus Epic court case, Microsoft revealed that it has never made a profit selling Xbox hardware dating back to the original Xbox. Nintendo is a rare example as it claims to sell the Nintendo Switch for a profit. Even though Microsoft loses money on every Xbox it sells, Xbox made more money in the past three months than in any previous Q1 in the company's 20-year history. Wow. Uh, okay, so you, you've never made a profit on an Xbox, but you're making it up with peripherals and, and stuff. I, it kind of it, That amazes me going back to the original Xbox. How are they recouping their money there from... Because it wasn't the games. Yeah, and, actually, and, I thought it was the games. Yeah, for the most part, I think it is probably the games, especially for okay. digital. They've got to make money hand over fist with digital sales. But chances are, there's every Xbox owner. They're going to say, "Okay, that person's going to average purchasing ten games." If we're making a profit of whatever, you know, thirty or forty dollars on each game, that eventually will pay for itself. And then, of course, you got to buy a second controller. You got to buy the headset for it. So they're banking on all of those things that are much cheaper to produce than the Xbox is. Because, you know, the Xbox, actually, really, every modern console besides the Switch is utilizing probably the most up-to-date technology in that system, at least that's available to them and that they can mass produce. It's not, obviously, it's not like a PC, but it's getting close, right? Mm -hmm. Where... Nintendo is always like, whatever, just 
throw some stuff in there. Like we don't care as long as it works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, and obviously they're the ones turning a profit. So maybe there's something to be said for that strategy. Right. But the, the problem is that gamers who are Xbox and PlayStation gamers want the most advanced technology. They want the ray tracing, man, the ray tracing. <laughs> <laughs> the 30 FBS. My eyes are bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the day, though, because they've established themselves as being the forefront of technology in that way, they've kind of, this is the, the, the business model that they have to do. But if you think about it, it's other companies do this with a lot of other products as well. Like think about Gillette. They, they sell you that first like handle for the razor yeah. and a bunch of razors with it at a loss, more than likely. With the expectation that you're going to spend uh, a crap ton of money replacing those razors over time, they purposely have that little strip on there that that tells you when it's time to replace it, even though it's probably not. You know, <laughs> wouldn't you just subscribe to like Dollar Shave Club instead? Well, that's that's the problem is that nowadays they figured out a way to make that considerably less cheaper. So it, having competition sometimes forces that. So is this going to essentially lead Xbox to be Xboxless? Yeah, I mean, we were we've been talking about that lately, and I think if they could find a way to make that damn dongle work, dongle. I think they uh, dongle. I think they would do it. I think they're probably really disappointed that the the tech is not up to snuff on that. Yeah, so they're going to continue to take a loss to keep Xbox players playing Xbox until it's ready, more or less. Right. And then once they figured it out, it, it's going to be like Nintendo. It prints money. we can't get enough of this money i'm wiping my butt with it all right next up from gameindustry.biz xbox changes its tone on game pass phil spencer's comments during the wall street journal live event felt like a shift in tone for the second quarter running microsoft failed to hit its targets around game pass subscription growth Xbox has done a great job with Game Pass. The branding work and messaging around the service have made it the industry's flagship subscription platform. However, Phil Spencer estimated that Game Pass will probably only account for about 15% of Xbox content and services revenue going forward. 15% sounds low when you consider the billions of dollars that Microsoft has spent on games and developers all in the name of Game Pass. That may sound negative, and a significant change in tone for Xbox. But the backdrop in which these comments are being made must be considered. Microsoft's major acquisition of Activision Blizzard is currently being scrutinized by regulators around the world. Some of the data that Microsoft is choosing to share is no doubt in relation to that. And as for mobile, Spencer talked of a desire to end the control of Apple and Google and even stated that Call of Duty Mobile was more interesting to Microsoft than a high-profile console version. It's not clear how Microsoft plans to seriously compete with Apple and Google. Candy Crush and Call of Duty, combined with Xbox game streaming, would give the company a strong presence on mobile that it didn't have before. But it doesn't feel deep enough to offer significant competition to Google Play or the App Store. Nevertheless, Microsoft is looking to move the conversation away from consoles and Game Pass, instead presenting a wider view of the game's business, a view that it hopes will show how its $69 billion Activision Blizzard acquisition will make the market more competitive, not less. So this really ties into what we were talking about before. When Microsoft is taking a hit, up to $200 hit on each Xbox that's sold. And then people stop buying games because everybody's playing Game Pass, but then Mm -hmm. Game Pass doesn't grow as much as you project it to. 
what's left for you? Mobile? <sighs> it sounds that way. And mobile's <laughs> a much cheaper alternative to a console, let's be honest, because they're already buying the equipment for other things. So all you got to do is make an app store and present the games. Make a Call of Duty uh, runner game. There you go. And this runner, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know that there are, are people who play Call of Duty on mobile professionally. I know that those people are out there, but I guess I wonder, does the average Call of Duty player, do, when they hear about Call of Duty mobile, do they care? Do they get excited about that? If they have an X amount of dollars that they want to spend on microtransactions, are they really interested in putting it into the mobile Call of Duty? Probably not. But there is a market of people who want that. To them, having to, to take a loss on every console you sell and then have Game Pass not do well, they have to subsidize that revenue some other way. And mobile seems the cheap and easy option, especially considering most mobile games are designed to be addictive and force players to buy microtransactions just to be competitive. Yep. The uh, oh, sorry, you've spent all of your spins or whatever this this day. You, you gotta come back tomorrow, unless unless you give us five bucks and you can have a couple more spins today, or you can get a hundred dollars and have as many spins as you want for the next what? two weeks. Oh my god, bro, you're <laughs> blowing my mind. <laughs> oh, I hate mobile games. I hate them yeah, so much. I know, yes. I know, and, yes. and they're they're. They're crappy and the, the controls suck and, and everything. Right. It's just not a great gaming experience, but there are plenty of people out there that just don't care. I guess not. I mean, I have tried my share of mobile games. Like I like uh, time management games. Mm hmm. And those are a really great, just like mindless time killer. And the thing that makes me crazy and why I stopped playing mobile games is because they design the games in such a way that it doesn't matter how good you are. Right. It's not skill. Yeah, if you don't buy the thing, you can't progress in the game. And to me, that's not a game. Like, that does not meet the definition of the game. If your skill is not rewarded, what is the point? And it's just, it just kind of blows my mind that this stuff continues to be popular. And I realize that I sound very old right now. <laughs> <laughs> to me, the, uh, the most concerning thing about the Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard should not well, I mean, the potential for monopoly is certainly concerning. But if you're a Call of Duty fan or a fan of any of the Activision Blizzard IP, to hear that Microsoft is more interested in making mobile games than they are in making traditional console and PC versions, I mean, that should scare the shit out of you. Indeed. Indeed. But I think one of the things that you run into is that maybe Game Pass for them, even though it sold a lot of Xboxes and sold a lot of... Microsoft accounts, maybe it wasn't exactly the best business decision for them long term. Probably not. <laughs> the consequences of our action. Oh. <laughs> Surprise. And you'd hate to see that that would have like an impact long term on Xbox, you know. Well, and it may not. It's they've they've had a certain business model for the last 20 years, which is mm -hmm. sell the consoles at a loss and then count on everything else. And the next 20 years may be determined by how well they're able to adapt to a new business model. Right. I mean, they tried with the, the Game Pass. That is a, definitely a new business model for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if it's not generating revenue, they're, they're going to go the way of, uh, and I hate to say this because I know I'm going to get a lot of hate, but go in the way of Sega. 
<laughs> hey, hey, Sega just announced 1.5 billion Sonic sales. Yeah. So, I mean, they're looking at you with their gold rings and gold necklaces and their gold cups full of uh, champagne. They're like, what are you talking and about? And their Maseratis and spray right. cans. <laughs> so, in you know, in 20 years, we can have a whole bunch of like, you know, Spartan racing and Spartan, you know, 2d platformers so that they can cash in on their one ip that still sells <laughs> Ooh. oh was that too close to Eating that horse into the ground <laughs> which leads us to our next topic from vgc phil spencer acknowledges it's been too long since xbox's last big first party game Microsoft's head of gaming has acknowledged it's been a quiet year for first-party Xbox games, but claimed that 2023 will be far busier for the platform holder. By the end of 2022, five games will have been published by Xbox Game Studios this year, but only one of those, Obsidian's Pentiment, will be an all-new game developed internally. One thing we've definitely heard loud and clear is it's been too long since we've shipped what people would say is a big first-party game, Phil Spencer said on the Same Brain videocast. We can have our excuses with COVID and other things, but in the end, I know people invest in our platform and they want to have great games. Spencer went on to claim that the 2023 lineup would be far stronger for Xbox and that the sort of pandemic-caused production delays, which saw its original big holiday release Starfield pushed into 2023, were now in the rearview mirror. As an industry, we have fewer games this holiday than we've had in a while when you just think about the launches. Call of Duty is coming, already here. God of War is coming, which is great, and Nintendo's had a good year. But in general, I would say we've been a little light. But I look at 2023, and there's a great lineup of games coming that I'm excited about. Getting our first real Xbox first-party games out of Bethesda, having them ship with Redfall and Starfield, will be a lot of fun. Spencer went on to claim that Xbox was doing a lot more work on PC, and that it would launch a big update for its Xbox app in a few weeks. So I like that his answer to the complaint that Xbox doesn't come out with first party games is to point to titles that are coming out from companies they just bought. Right. (laughs) We didn't have the talent to do it ourselves. So we just bought up all these companies and now we're saying, hey, it's an Xbox first party title. Yep. We don't make games. We just buy studios. (laughs) Well, then ipso facto, we do make games. Uh, technically correct. The best kind of correct. This, This game that they're talking about up here, Obsidian's Pentiment. This is the first time I've heard of this game. If this is the only like all new game developed internally by Xbox, why have I heard nothing about it? Right. Yeah, I was I was surprised to even hear the title. I haven't heard a peep about this. No. That doesn't bode well. <laughs> okay, so looking it up on Steam, the only description is art imitates death. <laughs> That's it. Okay, from Obsidian, this game okay, is a <laughs> historical mystery narrative-driven game that focuses on character development, heavily stylized art, and choice-driven storytelling in the early 16th century Germany. Oh, okay, I get it. This is the one that looks like it's designed like an old scroll. Uh, it looks like the illustrations on like the Canterbury Tales. <laughs> right. And that's your that's your big game? That's going to be your... <laughs> Have you ever wanted to play the Bayou Tapestry? Well, guess what? We got the game for you. <laughs> and I think that that's kind of always been like Xbox's or, or Microsoft's Achilles heel. Is They've got Halo. They've got Forza, which is 
a ripoff of Gran Turismo. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had Fable, which fizzled out. They're trying to bring that back. What else do they have? I mean, if you want to list PlayStation exclusives, PlayStation first party titles, you could go on and on and on. But what does Xbox have? I was just trying to rack my brain for that. I mean, you actually need more than I could just off the top of my head. So. <laughs> I named three. <laughs> I named right. three. <laughs> uh, mine was Halo Forza. And that was it. <laughs> so it, it, it begs the question, what is Microsoft even doing in this market or in this industry? You have a console that takes a $200 loss. Your Game Pass doesn't really meet expectations. And you don't have any first party games. Well, it, it does kind of fit with what we've been talking about the last few weeks, right? The commoditization of games being their sure. business model. And I guess it just, they're coming into a point where their company's in flux. The changing landscape of the video game industry to free-to-play, to microtransactions, to streaming is is hitting them. Probably like it's hitting all the other companies like it's hitting PlayStation and Nintendo. It's just because Microsoft has has insisted on the commoditization business model, it's just hitting them a little harder. Uh, you know what would make me happy is if Microsoft sold its Xbox division to Sega. Oh, <laughs> Are you sure? You know what Sega's into now? They want blockchain and NFTs. You want to just hand them Xbox? A pattern like here. Go ahead and drive Xbox into the ground. I will say this, though. They would help Donnie's prophecy come true. Yes, I've only got, like, what? um, Eight weeks left or something? Yeah. Sega, you better put a move on stuff. Yeah, I think you're going to lose this bet, Donnie. Sorry. Uh, There's still hope. There's always hope. I'm an optimist. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by the Leadist Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here is this week's trivia question. In 1997, Aki Maita and Akihiro Yukoi won the Ig Nobel Prize in Economics for their development of what popular gaming device that took the world by storm? Tune into the Leadist podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find the Leadist on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll also have their links in the show notes. I'm pretty sure it's a- redacted. You are correct, sir. Yes. <laughs> is that a gaming device? I guess. Of course it, it, is. it did have games. It definitely did. So you had to. Riveting stuff. <laughs> really riveting stuff. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> Maybe yeah. that's why I never had one of those things. <laughs> All right, students, take your seats. Today is going to be a little bit of a different foray into Professor Rybred. I had a pretty exciting experience uh, this past weekend uh, by getting a chance to go to the Rochester Museum of Play and get a backstage tour. Backstage passes. (laughs) So how jealous are the two of you? I just want to establish that first. Well, I have no idea what's back there. So why don't you tell me what you saw first and then I'll tell you whether I'm jealous or not. 
(laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, I went home to celebrate my brother's 40th birthday. It was intended to be a surprise, but Jim already figured it out. So not so much of a surprise, but uh, one of the things we ended up doing on Sunday is just going to the Museum of Play to play the arcade games and some of the pinball machines, which is a lot of fun. Uh, the museum is set up so that it's it's an interactive experience for kids, right? It's a museum of play, and it's you know anything that you would consider something uh, from a play perspective. So there's even like a play market that kids can go into and pretend to, to purchase you know stuff out of a grocery store. There's a, like a ropes course. There's a whole bunch of things. It's it's an it's entire experience. Where, you know, usually when you go to a museum, it's, it's it's a display case and you walk past it and it tells you history. This has that too, but it's it's also the other part that it's a, it's a hands-on experience for kids, which is great. But it's also great for adults, right? Because they have a lot of the retro stuff that, that's covered there. So we, we played, we had a good time. And, you know, we had obviously on the podcast interviewed Andrew Borman, who is the curator of uh, digital games for the Museum of Play. He had said to us after the interview, like, anytime you want to come by and, and do a tour, just let me know. And it was on Sunday, so I figured, yeah, it probably uh, is not in the office. But uh, Shannon, my wife, she was like, why don't you just email him? See if he'd be available because you're going to be there until Tuesday. It's like, that's not a bad idea. So send him off an email uh, and a Twitter message. And, uh, you know, like noon comes around and, uh, you know, I hadn't quite like gotten up for the day <laughs> and showered yet. Uh, but I get an email at like 12.05. It says, hey, yeah, I'm going to be available till two o'clock. So quick shower, jump in the car, get down there uh, by like 12.30. <laughs> So we were rushing and uh, I got a chance to meet Andrew at the door and he ended up taking me back into kind of their storage area. Now, what's interesting about the Museum of Play is that only a small percentage of what's out in the actual museum is what they have in stock. Basically, behind the scenes, they are donated a lot of really, really cool video game history items anywhere between just games themselves to upwards of uh they have uh, an award from the video game uh awards from uh, i think it was for halo is the most anticipated game of the year that's sitting back there they've got games that haven't been released that are certain prototypes so what andrew did is he, he walked me back through there and when you first get into the warehouse uh immediately as you walk in it's arcade games as far as the eye can see are they plugged and in and working no, they're they're not. So they're, they're kind of sitting in storage. I know it would be great, right? But Andrew kind of uh, alluded to me that you know if he needs to research a game, they can certainly do that. They can make that make that happen if you will. <laughs> and so uh, if you go to the right, there is a whole bunch of electromechanical games that were out in the you know the early 1900s. And some of the stuff they have there is just extremely interesting. Uh, For example, they've got this punching game that is similar to the ones that you see in arcades now, but like, it's like the first version of that, right? They've got a lot of almost like games you would find on the boardwalk. If you were walking down like a a tourist town and this was the the thing that you were going to steal your quarters because, you know, you brought a date with you (laughs) to show off, you know, (laughs) your strength or there's a love meter, that kind of stuff. That's that's a Maserati with my spray tan. I'll show you how. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. (laughs) Uh, But when you get into more of the arcade stuff, there's a lot of really interesting, unique items. So for example, they have a wizard of war prototype that, uh, is on, the only one in existence. 
Hmm. And it's not Wizard of War. It's some other name to it. I'll have to look it up. But uh, they also have prototypes for like the game Tubin, which is hugely popular. They've got unreleased arcade games there as well that uh, a few of them actually say services on it. So one of them is for the Atari services division. It's a really plain arcade itself uh, that basically they were just using it to play debug and, and figure out if it was viable. And that's just just chilling back there. And obviously, a lot of that stuff they can't bring out to the the showroom floor because, again, it's an interactive experience. So, you know, kind of getting their hands on them. But um, the other thing that I thought was interesting, too, is that across the, the, the far end of the wall of just that, that one warehouse, it's a filing system similar to what you would expect to see out of like an archives or something like that, where the filing cabinets are on like a roll thing and then they, they separate so that they can have more room back there. And the one thing that he showed me was the Japanese video games aisle. Oh, and it's, uh, think about this. It's a complete collection pretty much of Sega mega drive, uh, Famicom, N64 disk drive stuff. They've got toys and things from Nintendo as well. So think about uh, stuff pre-video game history. Mm -hmm. That's all there. And if if I remember right, he said something around along the lines that they have like over 500,000 games, maybe even more than that, uh, that are just in their archives. Uh, And what they're really their purpose behind that is to be a place that holds on to this you know, history when it comes to each one of those games so that if somebody wants to go back and research something, they can do that. So all they have to do is contact the museum to play, say, I'm interested in researching this particular game or this particular genre. And, uh, you know, it's going to be there uh, for all time because it's, it's in a museum that's, you know, cooled and made it so that the environment is conducive or to holding on or saving these things. So they just revealed their secret <laughs> All I need to do in order to play some of this stuff is just to say, hey, I'm researching this game. You have it? All right. Let me come over. Somehow I feel like maybe they're going to ask for some credentials on that. <laughs> hey, I'm with the podcast. Right. And perhaps that might that might be a, a successful way to do it. But I don't think your average show is going to be like, hey, I just want to play some games. Oh, uh, yeah. research, I mean. Now he'll, just, uh, he'll just go in every week, check out a new game like a library. <laughs> yeah, just like Blockbuster all over again. And somehow I feel like somebody would be watching you the entire time with white gloves or something. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you probably don't get a ticket home, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So you want to play beat them and eat them? <laughs> <laughs> Again? <laughs> this time yes. uh, I need some, uh, need some alone time with this game. <laughs> <laughs> to really get into it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yes, sir, uh, but I then do. after we went through all the different things, and, and the thing is too, it's not just video games back there. It's toys, right? So toys from kind of the early years. They even have oh. uh, two versions. You ever? Do you remember the the toy Elfie, the robot? No. Um, I'd have to see a picture of it. How is it spelled? A L F I E. Elfie robots. Yes, I do. Yes. So it's like a white robot. And they've got. Sorry, what was that robot noise? <laughs> And they've got a couple of versions of that, and some of them are like prototypes for it too, which is super, super cool. It's awesome. So it just it's it's all of that, and and really the the museum started off as kind of like a doll exhibit for the owner who collected millions of dollars. I bet worth that's of- a creepy place when the lights are off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and I remember going as a kid and not being very interested in it because all it was was dolls. <laughs> uh, but they've transformed this place into just something that's so amazingly cool. And what's kind of on the future for them, which I love, is the fact that they're expanding out that video game exhibit. It's been so popular for them that what they're going to do is they're adding on a whole entire building. They're building it right now uh, that's going to contain uh, not, I don't know if it's a hundred percent, but uh, a large majority of it is going to be dedicated strictly to video games. In fact, they've got like a timeline that's going to be, you know, 80 to hundred feet long that you can kind of see the progression of video games uh, throughout time, which is, it was just for me, especially somebody who loves gaming history. That's, that's huge. Right. Uh, they're also, I, to my knowledge, I think they're also adding a barcade called Nerdvana to, to the mix as well. So you can, you know, go check out the museum, play some of the games, and then go to Nerdvana and uh, have that's a few what cocktails. you want is having drunk people interacting with these expensive and rare prototypes. <laughs> well, that's it. Is that you go to the museum first? <laughs> you got to prove that you went to the museum, so <laughs> you don't miss anything. Hey, and double back. Wait, come play in our arcade. <laughs> then I got to go into Andrew's office, which his office reminded me a lot of my man cave. <laughs> it's uh, he's got all of the consoles that are out there, uh, so he can play test games and and debug and stuff. A lot of the the systems that he has there uh, have ever drives on them, so he can dial up a game that he wants to to play to review it or to talk about it uh, within the, the scope of of the museum. And it's, it's funny, uh, you know, looking at all of the consoles that he has, I just, I felt so inadequate. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in all fairness, it's not his. Fair, fair. That is right. Right. But at the end of the day, he can basically play that and he's got a server in there and he streams on Twitch occasionally uh, straight from his office. So uh, he has the dream job. Super jealous of that, but <laughs> you stood at the collection size urinal and compared, and it uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and he was left wanting. <laughs> uh, so, I uh, I highly recommend if you're in the Rochester, New York area, to check out the the Museum of Play. It is a an experience and a half. Uh, even if you're not going back into the, the kind of the storage backstage area, uh, it's still a really cool place to play. And uh, I think if you're not a member. It's like eighteen bucks to get in for the day. So, oh, that, that's that's worth the price of admission right there. Yeah, not a bad deal. So what what you're saying is we need to start our own museum <laughs> and have people donate some cool pieces <laughs> so we so we can play these games as well. We just happen to never open a show floor. It's all just <laughs> close for repairs. Yeah, and that'll be the name of the museum: Close for Repairs. <laughs> I like it. Well, that's that was my experience, yeah, for for the weekend, and uh, super glad I got a chance to do it. I've wanted to do it for a while, so happy, uh, happy I did. And uh, if you are interested in seeing any of the pictures, I posted them on Twitter, so uh, definitely check those out. And we'll also leave a link in the show notes if you didn't happen to catch the episode where we interviewed Andrew Borman, where he told us about the museum. So we'll leave a link to that in the show notes, and you can check that out when you're done here. Excellent. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you for listening to episode 46 of Gamers Week podcast. And a big thank you to the Retro Game Club podcast, the Leadest podcast, and Love Retro BTW for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes.
If you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC, email us at GamersWeekPodcast at gmail.com, visit our merch store at Gamers-Week-Podcast.Creator-Spring.com, or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes. Join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gamersweek. And finally, since you made it all the way to the end of this episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. And while you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for us tonight. Thanks everybody for tuning in and we will see you next week. See you next week. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs> with your gold chain and your fake tan <laughs> I gotta go to the club you know and get my groove on <laughs> somehow I see your dancing being really 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 corny <laughs> okay guys I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna do the, the sprinkler check it out <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the lawnmower here <laughs>